morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. We examine how to look at ourselves, how to look at ourselves squarely, how to look at our community and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us talking, get us challenged, get us doing something. And today we're going to be continuing our conversation on exploring anti-racism. We're looking at white people. That's you out there. That's me. We need to talk about this. And I know it's uncomfortable to talk about, but it really is a white people's problem. Now, when I say that, I know some people are going to be shutting down and going, well, I'm a nice person. And how could it be my problem? And, you know, it just we all just need to get along. Well, we do need to get along. But there are things that white culture has done and continues to do that's bullying behavior. And until we look at that, until we're aware and able to address it, we're going to continue the violence and we're going to continue the violence with our silence. So I'm encouraging us to talk about it. Uh, I know the Midwestern status quo makes us all feel comfy and then we don't want to say anything because we're nice. Well, by being nice, we're actually supporting behaviors that are unkind, that are behaviors that do not allow a level playing field. And that's what I'm advocating. I'm advocating for us to rock the boat, rock the boat of what we have been used to and what we're comfy about and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We talk about white fragility. We kind of tiptoe into that. Well, that's a nice way of putting we've been sensitive about being a bully. Now, As far as I'm concerned, we don't need to be sensitive about being a bully. We need to do straight talk. And today we're going to do straight talk. Um, And and part of that is just taking the time for looking at self-awareness and our blind spots. Uh, We all have them. We don't have to be ashamed of it. We've got blind spots. We've got to learn how to look at those blind spots and grow from them. How can we listen to other people in a way that allows there to be empathy and understanding and not just dismiss as soon as something someone says um, dis- we disagree with or don't understand or feel shame or feel emotion about. We, we eventually have to take what we learn around us when we're being truly in the moment and listening to like understand we don't want that inequity. We don't really want to be bullies. So what do we need to do to start making those changes? And to start making those changes, I believe we need to bring good people in to talk to us about it, to have us participate, have us listen, have us think about it. And I've got two amazing people that will be joining us today. And we'll be looking at the restaurant industry, looking at the culture, the history, um, what's happening now during a pandemic. What could it look like in the future? So I have Toby Nidets, who is foodguy.com. Um, he's a consultant uh, during the day, but he also does these really good, edgy podcasts, uh, Legends um, and Lies of Launching a Restaurant Company. But more recently, during this pandemic, uh, what is the restaurant looking like during the plague? Uh, and he's been featuring racism and looking at 
some of the tough issues restaurants face. One of his guests that I listened to the podcast who did, I thought, an amazing job is Mecca Boss. She is a chef and writer. Uh, she was featured in the July 7th New York Times looking at chefs. She's also been on NPR, City News, Minneapolis, St. Paul Magazine. She's both a chef and a freelance food writer and I want to welcome you both. Oh, I also want to mention Super Delicious, great podcast that she does as well. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to you both, Toby and Mecca. Thank you. Thank you. So glad you're here today and to talk about, you know, issues in the restaurant industry. I I, I look back at our restaurant history and there's some ugly parts of our past in terms of segregation. And there was where the black people could eat and where the white people could eat. So this isn't new. This isn't something that just happened. Um, we come from a history where we have not embraced uh, – hospitality for all in the same way. Um, and yet there's something magical about the restaurant industry. And because there can be a hospitality DNA in us that that is drawn to hospitality, we want something more and we want something different. Mecca, I'd love to have you kick it off and just share a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, and then we'll we'll get into some of these issues that I think are important for white people to talk about. But first, I just want to have both of you just share a little bit about um, – uh, the restaurant industry and and what you see as it, it, both its charm and its challenge. All right. Well, <clears throat> my name is Mecca Boss. I've been in the Twin Cities food um, industry for about two decades in some capacity or another. I've worked as a line cook. I've worked as a cheesemonger. I've run kitchens. Um, I'm also a freelance writer. I've been on staff at a couple of different publications, including Twin Cities Metro, where I was the food editor for six years, and I was the dining critic at City Pages for about three years, and um, I've written pretty much every publication in the Twin Cities, and I've also got national bylines, and um, sometimes uh, my head spins when I think about the fact that I've worked in both of these dual industries as a black woman, which I call the domain of white men and white women for 20 years. Toby? That was quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very quick. Well, yeah, I've been in the restaurant business pretty much all my life. And uh, when I got into this podcast that I started a couple years ago, I wanted it to be just a way of uh, restaurant tours to come in and talk about how they were opening restaurants. And then when the pandemic started, I kind of pivoted into something a little more serious about how they're surviving. And then with the uh, what happened uh, on Memorial Day with George Floyd and, and the uprising that, that really brought to my eyes the uh, inequities that I knew existed all the time. Uh, now, as a white guy, I don't pretend to know everything and and didn't knew I knew didn't know everything. And when I wanted to do a podcast on racism, I, I went to Mecca first because I know she was very vocal. And now she had, we'd worked together before and kind of circled around each other for all these years. But, uh, I knew I'd, I'd get some honest talk from her and, uh, gave me an opportunity to open up my word. Appreciated in the pine. Uh, maybe enjoyed is not the right word. Appreciated. Appreciated in the podcast was that you, you did set it out. Hey, if I'm saying or doing something stupid in this conversation, will you call me out? Just 
creating that sense of permission that I know I'm going to probably say something stupid, so just go ahead. <laughs> let me know because it's better to let me know than to let me just keep going on. And and I also, before this uh, show, said the same thing to Mecca. Mecca, if I do something on this in this conversation that you think needs to be called out, I hope you'll call me out and, and, and use this as a conversation to have um, a real authentic sharing of – what are some issues and what are ways that we need to, to figure out how to work differently uh, and set a different playing field? With that, uh, Mecca, I know that from the podcast you shared how when you first went into the restaurant, there was something special. You, you didn't really like the corporate world. There, there mm-hmm. was something about the restaurant that even though it was not uh, – it, it did not embrace multicultural and it didn't necessarily embrace women leadership. But something attracted yeah. to you. What what was it you think when you went in there that you went, yeah, I belong here? Well, I mean, I guess, I, you know, I grew up in the kind of household where we were always encouraged to be ourselves. And when I go into a corporate setting or an institutional setting, um, I just, I don't feel like myself. I instantly don't feel myself. You know, there are, there are dress codes and there are all these ways of behaving and there are all these and there are all these, you know, these time grids that don't work for me. I hate waking up to an alarm clock. I, I only have jokingly say, like, I got into the restaurant industry so that I don't have to wake up to an alarm clock. Like, that's real. And, um, you know, the more we examine the, the structures that we live in in America, there's a reason why we don't feel good in those environments. And um, the, the reasons are really systemic. And I, I, I really encourage people to listen to the 1619 Project that the New York Times put out. It is an unbelievably eye-opening project, and what we find is that you know a lot of this, the corporate structures that that we that we accept as normal in America are built on the plantation system, you know. And it's crazy to think about that, but you know, you go into these corporate environments, and they, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel good. So I just never thrived in those environments. And then I found restaurants when I was, you know, I was ancient by restaurant standards. I was sort of in my mid to late twenties, which you know, a lot of people find restaurants when they're teenagers. Um, but I, but I found that and I just thought like, I'm never going back. I'm never going back into an office. You can't make me. Well, that isn't entirely true. I did go back into the office, um, setting for, for the writing world, but yeah, it just felt like, it just felt like, um, taking off a a sweater that didn't fit me for 10 years. And I found my people, you know, just felt like these are my people. You know, they were hilarious. They were fun. We were doing something creative. We weren't wake. We were not waking up at dawn. You know, you got to have, a, you got to have a complimentary drink at the end of your shift. I don't know. It was just so freeing, and it was just so liberating. And I just found like I found my space. And and I think when you have that DNA gene, we talk about that. You know, in the hospitality, when you have that sense, it, it, you do feel a sense of belonging. You do feel like this is. This is entertainment. This is good food. This is good friends. But at a certain point, you bump up against things that don't feel right. Yeah. And it's like you've had experience and you shared in the podcast about um, essentially what boils down to sexual harassment. um, Right. But allows – there's been a power structure within the environment that allows bad behavior. Sure. Um, and it's it's changed. I mean, I, Toby, like Toby, I, I started out in the seventies, well, you know, and that was just accepted. That was just all part of the fun. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, you talked about wearing the you know the cocktail dress 
stuff like that. And with me, okay, so now, you know, I'm allowed into the kitchen as a woman, but there's also sort of this implicit um, understanding that, you know, or, or, or explicit. I shared with, I shared, I shared with Toby that, you know, I interviewed with an important chef um, who looked me straight in my eyes during my interview and said that he was going to hire me because he thought I was cute and I took the job. So there was, you know, so there was maybe less of an explicit um, sexual harassment um, uh, environment or tone. You know, I wasn't asked to wear a cocktail dress in the kitchen, but I I certainly was expected to acquiesce to um, sexual harassment, bad behavior, and I was expected to, um, to participate in it, and I certainly did participate in it. And that record. You want to tell her what you call the, the you pantry, by the way? <laughs> make, well, me and my me and my group. fellow, you know. So of course, if you're, you know, and this goes into the food, by the way. You know, if you're a, if you're a woman chef in um, many many restaurants across America, there's there's sort of this this implicit understanding that you're going to work in um, the pastry station. Or, or, or your garbage, which is you know where the salads and the desserts are made. Which, by the way, is a really hard station to work. So don't don't dismiss it as just because there's not fire. You know you get hit twice on a, in a service at the beginning at the end. But that's another story. But you're sort of you're sort of pushed into that role for and sometimes in perpetuity. You never get out of there. And the hierarchy again, we're talking about hierarchies. Um, and you're, you're sort of just expected to to stay there for you know forever. And it, it pays less. It's not it's not as much of a respected role. And so, you know, the pastry station, and so we, me and my fellow uh, female female cooks back in the day used to, we call it the, the panty hole. You know, you're, you're just stuffed into the panty hole and you're expected to stay in the panty hole. And I did not stay in the panty hole, but yeah, that was kind of a little running joke between us. But it, it does illustrate, you know, how the coping mechanisms, right? You know that Hell yeah. there there's a kidding there, but at the same time, there's a frustration. Um, and and how that frustration can build, and initially it can be ha ha, isn't this funny? But then it's like, wait a minute, this just isn't fair. This 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 doesn't well, work. Bourdain, you know, Bourdain talks about it really eloquently in his writings about you know some of you know the camaraderie that we have, the work ethic. Um, the drinking, by the way, which is also a coping mechanism, the humor. Well, these are things that we get to, these are the things that we get to have because what do we not have? We don't have money. We don't have health care. We don't have, we don't have a working environment that's respectable. So you kind of glom onto what you do get to have. Um, but you know, then you turn 40 and you have, you know, a dollar and 50 cents in your, in your bank account and you can't get your teeth looked at. And it's not very funny anymore. And you know the yeah the status quo is very accepted. It's the way it's always been. I cannot I can't tell you how many hundreds, if not thousands, of times I've heard somebody say, "Well, it's how it's always been." Well, that's also how we talk about racism in America. Because it's hard to do that work, and it's part. It's in and as we've talked off off line here on a, a conversation, there's a reason why. Um, the status quo is kept because it's been designed that way, and so we're questioning the design yeah. and and what yeah. does a redesign look like? With who's that, benefiting? Yeah, who's benefiting? With that, I got to take a break. Um, my engineer is smiling at me because I, I <laughs> need to take that break that I've gone over on, but that's okay. We can do that. Um, and when we come back, I want to continue our conversation about what's in the restaurant industry today. Um, Along with, you know, what are things that we're needing to cope with, uh, with changes 
so stay with us. And Toby, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to having you share a little bit about what are the issues that you're consulting on uh, that are real challenges for us to – and opportunities for us to look at what does the restaurant of tomorrow look like. So with that, I got to go to break. But stay with us. We'll be right back after just a few short commercials and we'll continue our conversation on anti-racism and looking at it through the lens of the restaurant culture. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. Today we're talking about anti-racism and looking at it through the lens of the restaurant industry. It's culture, it's history, what's happening now, what could it look like? Um, and I've got two wonderful podcasters who are joining me today, Toby Nyitz, who does the amazing Legends and Lies of Launching a Restaurant opening uh, but is also looking at you know what are the challenges facing the restaurant right now, including anti-racism. And Mecca Boss, who is a chef and a writer, uh, writes for all kinds of national and, and has written for all of the Minnesota uh, good magazines and newspapers here in town. Uh, brilliant chef and freelance food writer and here to talk about anti-racism. Welcome. I'm glad you're both here. Thanks. So we were talking a little bit about uh, – the culture of the org, uh, of the restaurant industry, and and you mentioned about me being a cocktail waitress, and and, and I will do a confession on on the audience. Yes, one of my first jobs, I uh, was at a very fancy steak restaurant serving a lot of business clientele, and I wore a skirt that barely covered my butt, and underneath it was a little panty that had lace on it, so that when I bent over, you know, I could have all of that be on display. I had to wear high heels. I had a, a shirt that was a plunging neckline, and to me, it was theater. I, you know, I I learned how to work it. I could go out there and and uh, remember everybody's favorite drinks and smile and wink and you know, get them to compete for who was going to tip for me because if I got them competing, I'd I'd get more money. Um, and I I knew how to work it. Uh, then you start realize. I mean, I did this in my early twenties, and I, I always claim that it was before my brain was completely formed. <laughs> <laughs> that was okay um, and that that was, you know, kind of fun, but it wasn't. Um, you know, yeah. I also knew that I could never become a bartender. It was like, you know, back then, you, know, bar, it, you didn't – there weren't female bartenders. I, your job was just to bring the drink out. Now, yeah, I got – There's t- hardly female bartenders now. Yeah. You know, I've done, I've done roundups of women bartenders because it's still an anomaly. Yeah. And why is that? You know, what, we can mix a drink. We can. I, I swear to God, we can do that. It's the same reason that everything well, uh, is the way it is in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, there are female bartenders, but we always put them on the day shift. So. Yeah. And what's up with that? Where you don't make a dime. <laughs> By the yeah, way. Well, uh, well you know, it's, where, where do you want to go with this, Laura? Because there's a lot to talk about in what the restaurant business is going to look like. Coming yeah. Out of the, well, I'd like to start it here and continue as sort of a theme, but jump in. You're, okay. You are needing to consult with the folks that are owning these restaurants, starting these restaurants, right. and you're giving them – and you're hearing Mecca and I's <laughs> opinion about all of this. How are you integrating knowing what you know and hearing what you're hearing and giving feedback to these folks? 
Uh, by letting them know that uh, there are some things that they're doing right now that are not correct. Uh, and the realization of that is really the tough part. Uh, you know, when I, I, when I talked to Mecca, I knew that I had racist behaviors. I called it covert ra- racism uh, it, because it was something I was taught how to do, even though, uh, like I talked about in the podcast, I was my training as, as an apprentice was with a black chef. But that black chef also told me a story that when he came back from Europe in the 50s, he couldn't find a job as a chef because he was black. He had to work on the railroad. And that that racism just kept going and keeps going on right now. Uh, the, the covert part is the fact that I thought I had black friends. <laughs> I thought I, I, I know that I knew... The, and that's the, the uh, badge, isn't it? If you've part. got a black friend, then you must not be racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some of my best friends thing. Right, know? right. Uh, and uh, but then when George Floyd happened, and and I was hearing different. I was for some reason I started hearing things differently, and that's my job now is to try and get my my white compatriots in the restaurant business, which you know, there's a few of us that. Uh, hopefully we'll now start hearing things a little bit differently and, and maybe acting differently. Um, uh, the, the podcast I did right after Mecca was with a, a black chef who's biracial, which he, 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 he kind of wrote a different line that a lot of people don't understand. I, I, you know, I didn't understand. Uh, and that's walking into a room, everybody thinking you're white. And then all of a sudden they understand you're black. And then the whole room changes. Uh, and that's something that I didn't know was really happening. Because a lot of but it's, crappy it's, things were being said and because they thought yeah. it was a safe environment, you know, to share that. Right, right, right. And, and didn't feel well, like they had you know, to check it's, it's themselves. It's a misogynist thing. Yeah, it's a misogynist thing too. No, I'm sure. Did you have fishnet stockings? Oh, yeah, I did. How did you before? know? Of course I did. Of course <laughs> because, I because did. Because I designed, I designed – uh, uniforms like that for servers back in the And it was this combination of like a Swiss miss, you know, that was now kind of, you know, walking the streets. I mean, it's like, whoa, what is this? Yeah. It's painful. You know, look back and it's painful and look at it now. It's painful. So what kind of pain do we have to feel to go? This is too much pain. It's really not painful. Once you understand it. You know, it once as a white guy, once I understand what I was doing, uh, there was there was a relief actually because now I know what. Well, I, I don't know everything, but I've got a better idea on on what I do that's racist and what I can help not other people not do to kind of turn this boat around a little bit. So. But I think what it was. Hopefully, can I jump in? Please, I a, please. I, I have a burning question. I can't help it. Um, I'm so sure. curious, Toby, because you're a restaurant consultant. And so I'm curious about, like, you're saying that it's your job now to get folks to understand what they've been doing wrong. So I'm so curious, like, how does that show up in your work? And, like, are people actually asking you those questions? And then how do you address it? And then my next question is, do you have black people on your staff to help you? (laughs) Uh, I'll answer the second question first. No, I don't have I don't have black people on my staff, but I don't have a staff either. So okay, Uh, the. The question of what I do to get these guys to to look at it, they're not coming to me and saying, how can we look at this differently? I have to tell them Mm -hmm. they have to look at it differently because Mm -hmm. they don't know. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's the big problem. Uh, 
they don't know that it's a white problem. And even if I do tell them it's a white problem, they'll look at me as just that ultra liberal, you know, ex hippie sort of guy who thinks that weird way that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have to do all these liberal things in our lives. And, you know, and yeah, we do, but, uh, it's getting some of these guys who have built their fortunes on racism and on the way they operate their restaurants, which have a lot of racist and misogynist things going on inside it that they think is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and it's, it's getting, it's not going to, I won't be able to snap my fingers and, and make it all go away. Uh, it's going to be years. Uh, right now the, the restaurant business is so concerned just staying open <laughs> that the, 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 the worries about racism and, and uh, sexism are a little low on the totem pole, unfortunately. But see, I think if, if, if restaurants want to stay relevant and if restaurants want to have a, a future, they're going to have to understand that our culture is shifting. And so if they're not going to be yeah. forward thinking enough to know that if they want to stay relevant, that they have to think along those lines, they're not going to be on the right side of history and they're eventually going to fail. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's the yeah. I think that's the pain point we need to be able to move towards is that realization because I don't think people really make changes until it's painful. And it's mm-hmm. painful right now looking at all of these issues. Um but then there's the fatigue. Well, I I advocate for keeping it a little bit more painful. It's not painful enough yet. Um no. <laughs> there there needs to have that pain be front and center. That if you didn't hear us now, hear us now. <laughs> well, what's, what's really going to change, it needs to change the compensation issues, on yeah. how we compensate everybody in, in the industry. What I have been trying to advocate is the fact that the restaurant industry is a second-class industry. We, and we set it up that way for ourselves. Uh, somehow we got the idea that it was okay to operate with such thin margins, that having a... a a 5% profit at the end of the year was okay. Any other industry, you're, you're in a failing business at that point. <laughs> no, you're, you're going to close yeah. your doors. But in well, the and what we're business, finding that, it, that get... it is a failing industry, right? Look at well, how many exactly. closures we've had. Exactly. And, and, but now, now is the time to change that. Uh, and one of the ways we need to change that is figure out a compensation package that works for everybody, for back of house and front of house, so the back of house gets that $25 an hour or $30 an hour that the front of house is kind of getting right now. Uh, we need to get uh, benefits in there, and we need to charge more. Uh, the fact that a, a cheeseburger costs $15 in today's market, I think it's a little silly. Uh, it really should be closer to 20 only because if that's the amount of money that we need to take in in order to pay these people what they really need to earn in order to have a living wage yeah i used to joke uh, that and we were, um, i used to oh go ahead toby no no go ahead finish <clears throat> oh i was just i was just all i was going to say is that um i used to joke that um i want to wear i want to wear a gopro camera from the beginning of end <laughs> to my shift and show people what and what goes into the making of their cheeseburger actually I was talking about that more along the lines of catering, which, you know, it's, it's an even deeper conversation of what goes into the making right. of a party. But if people saw, I mean, yo, let's start from, let's start from the farm, you know, let's start from right. the cow and what goes into the making of your right. cheeseburger. And maybe people will be a little bit more willing to pay the $25 that a cheeseburger should cost. 
And with that, I got to take yeah, a break. I mean, I, 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 okay, <laughs> my engineer once more is smiling at me, like, "Are you gonna take a break?" Yes, <laughs> I will take a break. I will let our, our sponsors and our, our commercials play. Uh, but this is a great conversation, and I am looking forward to continuing it right after our break. And you're listening to Connections Radio Show here on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And today we have been exploring uh, anti-racism, and we're doing it through the lens of the restaurant industry, the culture, the history, what's happening now, what could it look like. And to have that conversation, I've got two great podcasters uh, joining me uh, who are also chefs and consultants and all sorts of good stuff. I've got Toby Knightitz, who you can find through foodguy.com. He is a consultant, and his podcast is Legends and Lies of Launching a Restaurant. And we also have Mecca Boss, who is a chef and writer. She is a freelance food personality. She's covered national as well as local. Uh, she's in the Times, the New York Times. Check that out, July 7th, great article on black chefs. Um, good good reading, uh, and I highly encourage it. And we've had good conversation. So welcome. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks. So in our last segment, we were talking about margins and we were talking about second class industry. What does that look like? The challenges you started to share with us, Toby, about um, how how it's been set up and how it needs to change. And in, in, in the last podcast, there was a really great discussion you guys had with um, looking at what are some innovations and how how might – uh, how might restaurateurs who have a restaurant are thinking about retiring or moving on, what might they do to be able to support some changes? So I'm, I'm just going to let you both just go. Tell me about that. <laughs> I'm going to let the consultant go first. Go for it. <laughs> okay, ready. Uh, well, you know, the, like I was, I was saying in the in segment just before this, there's a compensation issue. In order to get everybody, in order to get equity in in the restaurant business, not only social and racial equity, but financial equity, uh, we need to change how we charge for our food. Uh, our food right now is ridiculous, silly low. I mean, charging $15 for a cheeseburger is stupid because we've got all this other stuff that is piled on top of us, not only just because of you know, rents and insurance and all that other stuff, we've got uh, government mandates now to pay people more that are now piling on top of us we've got the farmer on the bottom uh wanting more for his beef and for his flour because uh, he can't it costs him like twenty dollars a pound or something like that i forget what the number was but he basically they lose money on pretty much every cow that goes through the, the process up to a certain point uh a farmer it costs him uh x amount per acre but there's, uh, he's only getting in, he's not even getting that amount from what he can sell that, that, that wheat or whatever, whatever that grain is to the marketplace. So it, it kind of goes up and down the line here as far as our whole food system goes. It's the whole food system's broken. But in the restaurant business itself, in order to gain that equity, we need to find a way to at least start bringing in more money so that we can start paying people more money and then start bringing in the talent that we need that are now going to other industries because they've got better pay or they've got better benefits. Uh, we need to get uh, 
opportunities for people built so that there's a path to management from uh, from the pantry and, <laughs> and a path to ownership. I mean, I think that's really and important. And a path to ownership, exactly. Toby, you're, you're never going to you're well. never going to be able to just say pan- pantry again, are you? I already know it's going to run through your head. It's a panty hole. So, so Becca, with that, talk to me about ownership. Talk to me about what what does that look like. Well, listen, I believe me, I do not have <laughs> I do not have the toolkit for fixing the restaurant industry because as Toby said, the entire system is broken. I mean, you want to talk about you want to talk about inequity. Look at look at migrant workers. Look at who grows and harvests our food in this country. You know, if you want your if you want your heart to be broken, and especially during pandemic, you know, let's look at who's you know who's responsible for um, for actually putting food on our table and what and the risks that they have to that they have to take and the kind of money that they're not that they're not making. They're literally putting their lives on the line. Well, and look, and look, why, at, the, you know, look at the meat packing industry. <laughs> yeah. It's disgusting is yeah. what it is. And yeah. we're, you know, again, and then, you know, there, this, this industry thrives on on um, obscurity. So as long as we don't see it, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. If I think if we really if we were really willing to look and see what what the way that our food got got on the plate, we wouldn't even want to eat it, much less buy it. And so um, I don't know. I've been kind of a strong advocate for, and you know, again, this is unpopular because you know most of the people I I, I know and love are are, are some are in some way a restaurant adjacent. But I I personally am is the sort of person who would who would love to see the whole thing just just go away and start and, and start all over again because it's such a mess that I don't even know how we begin to. Um, I don't know how we begin to fix it from where we are right now. And, you know, the, the pandemic, and, you know, I hate to say it, is a bit of a, a blessing in disguise because we get to see what a house of cards this whole thing was built on. And, um, you know, this, it's no accident that, you know, two, two, two months, three, four months in, and restaurants are closing in mass. You know, that's not an accident. It's, it's because, you know, because it's, it's, it's such a mess. And so how do we, yeah. how do we begin to yeah. fix it? We, well, I think we're starting by having conversations about what's wrong. You have to admit you have a problem. And, and the pandemic, well, and they, the pandemic, the economic, the social justice, mm-hmm. they all reveal disparities. Reveal, and they're yep. all related. Yep. My mom is my mom is right. very fond of saying, you know, apocalypse, the word apocalypse. People think apocalypse means, means ending. It means revelation, you know, and that's what we're getting mm-hmm. to see here. You know, all of the things that have been broken in our society are being revealed, and if we don't take the time to fix it, we're going to be in an even bigger mess than we are right now. Imagine that. Very true. <laughs> well, and we're, we're heading towards that mess very quickly. Uh, you know, the, the word apocalypse is very it's interesting you said that because early on, back in, in, in March, in fe- late February, in March, actually, I was seeing these these articles written about how the restaurant business is, is entering this apocalyptic event. Um, actually, Andrew Zippern, our local food hero, uh, called it an extinction event. And it's it's really coming close to that right now. Uh, we're, you know, great restaurants that should be around when this comes up, when we're done with this, aren't going to be here because they just, the cash wasn't there for them to do it. And in the restaurant business, as in a lot of businesses, cash is king. If you don't have the cash to just keep your doors open, you don't. You go away. I have to say that I have to go to break again. <laughs> sort of a downer to leave on. 
But hopefully, what I can encourage my audience to be thinking about is what does redesign look like? Truly, I mean, what what are what are customers willing to do to look at? You know, I hear people complaining all the time. Fifteen dollars—that's a lot for a hamburger. Well, no, it's not. That's cheap, and we're going to need to look at the total experience of what we uh, expect and want when we go out, and then be able to pay for because we're paying. We should be paying fair wages, fair uh, opportunities. There should be fair ownership. Uh, opportunities. So what pressure maybe in the future can customers play in, in recognizing that and, and expecting that and, and making those changes? So in our next segment, I'd like to look at that. Uh, what are some things to think about? What, is, what, what does ownership look like? How do we fund? How do we support? How do we nurture? Um, how can we make the restaurant industry different? Because I'm in agreement we need to take things apart, but I would be very sad if there was no restaurants in the future. So what kind of hospitality because hospitality is supposed to be a place of of celebration of refuge of support how how do we get closer to that so we'll be talking about that in our our next segment thank you for joining us and continue to join us here on am 950 the progressive voice of minnesota on connections radio show Radio show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and we've been talking about anti-racism through the lens of the restaurant industry. We're looking at the culture, the history, what's happening now, and what could it look like. Uh, and I've got great podcasters who are joining me: Toby Knightitz, thefoodguy.com. He does consulting, and he also does a podcast called Legends and Lies of Launching a Restaurant Opening, and more recently, exploring the pandemic and what the restaurant is like during the plague. Uh, Also exploring racism uh, and doing a good hard look at how our – how is our culture and our history – been creating a status quo that needs to be changed. And Mecca, Mecca Boss, who is a chef and writer, uh, she has a a delicious podcast called Super Delicious. Uh, She has written for the New York Times, great article, July 7th, go and look it up. Terrific. She's also been on NPR News, City Pages, all the local Twin City stuff. And she's just brilliant and love to have you both on (laughs) our show today. Welcome. So there are things that, I mean, I talked about my challenges uh, as a cocktail waitress. But there's also wonderful things I learned. I mean, I loved working as a team. I mean, you are interconnected in ways Mm of having to, you know, pull stuff off with, you know, X number of people coming in and figuring out, okay, gear up, showtime. Um, (laughs) and, And the laughter and the excitement and the energy and the adrenaline. There is something wonderful about the industry. I don't want to leave that out mm-hmm. and, and how much mm-hmm. I've cherished being part of the restaurant industry because there is something magical about it. Um, mm. But we also need to make some changes because despite all the magic, it's not working and it's not working mm. for a lot of people. And I, I'd like for us in this last segment um, – I, I know that there's I, creative ideas about uh, ownership. How do we encourage more ownership? But I also want to explore. You, you had said in the last segment, Mecca, you know, it just needs to be torn apart and rebuilt. And mm-hmm. nobody knows how it needs to be rebuilt. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. great architect out there that goes, "Oh, here it is. This is how <laughs> mm-hmm. you know we can rely on that." You know, gifted insight. I mean, we're all going to have to kind of figure it out together. But I'd love to have 
what do you think we need yeah. to be doing? Well, I mean, you touched on it. You know, I think it has to, it does have to start from the customer side. And the customer has to be, has to, you know, we have to start to wrap our brain around the labor that goes into a plate of food in a restaurant. And we have to ask ourselves if we're willing uh, to exploit the people who put it there. You know, and, and personally, I've gotten to a point in my life where I don't want to eat exploitation. I don't want exploitation running through my body. Um, you know, also, and, and, and how do we get there? I'm not entirely sure, but I, I, one of the stories I like to tell all the time is that, you know, I'm old enough to remember that, that you know, dining out used to be a luxury. My grandparents did not go out to eat every week. You know, they might have gone out to eat um, four times a year to a restaurant and then maybe order pizza another, you know, eight times a year. You know, otherwise, we cooked food at home. And dining out was, you know, an opportunity to put on your earrings and your good perfume and go and pay money, the money that it costs to put food on a plate. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're eating out fine dining either. You know, it could have been, my grandma put on her good perfume for a burger. So I think that, you know, there's too many restaurants. It's a race to the bottom. There's too, you know, people are competing. People are willing to to sell food for, you know, a plate of food for $8. Well, a plate of food doesn't cost $8. And, um, you know, people are growing, producing, harvesting, uh, uh, loading food onto trucks. People are putting their lives at risk quite literally now for that. And um, what do we want to do? I've been out to eat one time since the pandemic, and the only reason I did that is because there was a New York Times reporter in town and I had to meet him. You know, I'm not willing to put my fellow, my friends and colleagues' lives at risk because I need a burger. And when I went out to eat that at that burger, actually it was tacos, but... Um, it was at a very casual neighborhood restaurant that I've been to hundreds of times in my life. And it felt at the time kind of like a fine dining experience because I was so unaccustomed in the last four months at having people serve me food. It was really special. And I think we have to go back to understanding that this is a special thing to have somebody serve you food and that we have to be willing to pay for it. And with yeah, our It's hard to go backwards, but yeah, you yeah. do. <laughs> well, I think what happened is when... Um, When women were getting back into the workforce, there was more economic opportunity to be able to invest in going out. Um, And and that challenge, uh, we're now back at limited funds and how do we figure out how Mm -hmm. to do this? Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe this is the opportunity to just not take our eating out for granted um, and that there's lots of places well, yeah, I mean, we uh, the one one of the nice things we've there's a couple of nice things we've learned during this pandemic. Well, let's know how interesting our family can be if <laughs> right. just open our eyes. But uh, we've also learned how to eat at home again. Right. Uh, that was something we had totally lost. The numbers that I remember seeing from the restaurant association was that uh, people were dining out once. Uh, I'm sorry, three to five times a week up wow. until the pandemic. Yep. But uh, in the 50s and 60s, that was like once, maybe twice a week at tops, like yeah. like Mecca was saying. Yeah. Going out was, was something special. And it was, it was right around the time that McDonald's started going national, which is the, the early yeah. 60s, that the whole dynamic. Well, the whole automation. Changed. I got to warn you both. Mm-hmm. I've got 45 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, love to have a quick fifteen second. What, what, what would you like to leave our audience with? Then I'll let tear you... it down, build it back up. Tear it down, build it back up. Toby, uh, well, go out to eat when you can, but uh, get 
get ready to pay more for your burgers. Yeah. Invest in um, your food because it's important to be paying fair wages and it's important to be recognizing the real costs. Thank you both. Appreciate your your insights. So glad to have this conversation and we'll look forward to having many more.